Um, we are starting a new series uh, this morning. Every November, we start a series on stewardship and how do we manage the money and the resources that God has given to us and how do we use that to help further his mission in the world and what does that look like when you're on mission with Orchard Hill Church. So this year, we asked our staff, what was the best tip or lesson you ever received about money? And we heard a ton of great answers and great thoughts about this, like don't spend what you don't have. I think that came from Saturday Night Live, actually. Uh, Save for emergencies, pay off your credit cards every month. But by far, my favorite tip that I heard from a staff member, and I don't know who said this, but they were talking about their... um, their principle that helps guide them know how much to spend and save and give, and they called it the 80-20-20 principle. You spend 80%, save 20, and you give 20. (laughs) This magic formula is the only one I know of that allows you to use 120% of your income every month. I'm not sure who that was, like I said, but they may be in for just a bit of a surprise. I don't know. This teaching series is called Million Dollar Questions, and we know that uh, we all have lots of questions about money, and uh, one of the other things we asked our staff as we, and we talked to our small groups and families, and um, we tried to ask them what their questions were. We tried to hear what some of your questions are about money, and we want to give our best effort in this series to be able to answer those real questions But we don't want to just give you our opinions. Um, There are actually more than 2,300 verses on money and possessions in the Bible. Just think about that for a second. Think about all the things that we think that the Bible gives attention to. Maybe none more than money. Jesus actually said more about it than just about any other subject. Which leads to the first question that we received from, I think, one of our staff that said, well, why did Jesus talk so much about money? And the short answer is, I believe, how we handle our money actually says something about our relationship with God. How we handle our money matters to God. And Jesus doesn't want money to get in the way of that relationship Actually, he wants to help his followers manage money in a way that increases his abundance for us and for others around us so that we can live our fullest lives. And I hope by the end of this morning that we'll start to see how Jesus wants to increase our capacity to receive more of what he wants to give to us. He wants to move us from a mindset or to a mindset of abundance and generosity and enlarge our vision for his kingdom and his work. If you or your household bring in $50,000 a year, every 20 years you would have $1 million to manage. And the fact is that many of us will manage over $1 million in our lifetime, Um, some of us significantly more. That's a different perspective on money than what I grew up with. That's a different kind of picture, right? And it can be hard to embrace a mindset of blessing and abundance if we can't break free from patterns and values that maybe we've inherited from our parents or maybe from grandparents or from other places. 
My dad grew up, and he was um, the son of hardworking laborers. Sounds like a politician starting a speech, right? He was the youngest of four. He had a brother. He had three sisters. And for at least part of his growing up years, he grew up in a small little house on 2nd Street that had two bedrooms and one bath. He was born in 1941, so just shortly after the Great Depression. And um, he doesn't, you know, remember the Great Depression, but his older siblings certainly do and, and remembered living through it and how that affected them. And it affected my dad. He used to tell me the story of when he went downtown to one of the, where the train was parked on the tracks or maybe to the coal pile and he grabbed some coal and took it home because he wanted to help his family with the heating bill. And uh, his dad immediately said, turned him around and said, you need to take that back. He said, we may not be rich, but we are honest. And I just think about these experiences of what my dad grew up with and it makes a lot of sense of why he handled money the way he handled money. Uh, He was somebody who felt that money, the value of money was insecurity, right? That it brings you security. And the only problem was is you could never have enough to actually feel secure. And so his practice was to not spend anything, especially on frivolous things. My friends would go to the arcade, they'd have all kinds of quarters to be playing games and I maybe found a quarter on my way there and could play one game of Pac-Man or something. And uh, so my dad was just not going to spend money. He was going to save every bit that he could. And this is probably why my kids grew up with a dad who's a cheapskate, right? Sorry, kids. I inherited, or at least adopted, a scarcity mindset about money. But Jesus has been inviting me, continues to invite me to move from this scarcity mindset to one of abundance, But how? How do we do that? One of the questions we actually received was, how do we break free from generational values and patterns that we may have grown up with? Maybe it's something different for you. But how do we develop a mindset of abundance? In the last book of the Old Testament, God actually talks through his prophet Malachi about this. And he's talking to them and he's saying, you know, you're wondering why things have been pretty hard lately, why you've been experiencing some suffering and you're, you're asking where God is. And then Malachi tells him, he says, remember, you're the ones who turned away from God. You failed to listen to his commands. You failed to follow his guidance. And not just you, but your parents and your parents' parents and their parents. So your grandparents, your great-parents, your great-great-grandparents, it's a generational pattern that he's addressing. And then Malachi pleads with them to return. Actually, God is pleading with his people to return to him through Malachi. And he says, come back to me and I'll return to you. And so they ask, how do we do this? And he says, here's one place you could start. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. Everywhere else we read, don't put God to the test. Don't test the Lord. But God expected his people to test him in this. He expected a regular tithe, which meant a tenth of their annual livestock or their produce or their income to be given to support the church and its leaders. 
Now, having turned away from God in other areas of their lives, many of God's people were like finding it difficult to live on 90% of their income. Some of them were probably having difficult following the 80-20-20 principle, living on 120% of their income. So God says, I am still with you. You can still trust me. Turn back to me. Start by trusting me with what I've given to you. In this one area, it's not only okay to test me, but I'm urging you to do so so that I can show you how much more I want for you way more than you could ask or imagine. Now, God's not saying if if we give 10%, he's going to guarantee our financial prosperity. That's not what God is saying. It's so much greater and bigger than that. And he's not saying our giving works like an insurance policy to make sure that nothing bad happens to us, to protect us from things like that. God is saying, I have blessed you to be a blessing. I want others to know me and my desire to bless them. And I will bless anybody who participates with me in this mission. Invest in my mission and watch what happens next for you, for others around you. See if I don't change the way you see your life and the world around you. See if you don't find more freedom from your scarcity mindset and discover more of the abundant life that I long to give to you. Uh, More joy, more peace, more kindness, more goodness. 400 years later, Jesus arrives on the scene and he seems to share a pretty similar message in one of his more famous parables called the parable of the talents. Both Matthew and Luke recorded this in their books, and uh, Matthew says that Jesus was actually teaching his disciples about what his return was going to be like, about what they could expect when he came back. And he starts the story by saying, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. A couple things to note right at the beginning of the story is Jesus is the man going on the journey, and his followers are the servants. And it says that Jesus entrusted them with his property. And to entrust means to give, put something in somebody else's care, right? I'm going to give this to you. I want you to take care of it. Jesus' followers weren't entitled to this, what he was giving them. They weren't entitled to this responsibility. He chose to trust them with it. And what he entrusted them with was his property. More specifically, the story says talents. Other translations, when, uh, when they tell this story, say he entrusted them with bags of gold and silver. And not just a few bags of gold and silver. When I, when I looked up what a talent is in the notes in my Bible, it says that a talent was equal to about 6,000 denarii. And one, that's a lot of denarii, right? I mean, who doesn't want a lot of denarii? Well, one denarii was equal to a a typical standard pay for one day of wages. So if you work six days a week, 52 weeks a year, you could expect to make 312 denarii in a year. So in about 20 years, you'd have earned just over 6,000 denarii or one talent. Today's world, one talent 
would equal more than $1 million. So another way to read this story is that this master entrusted his followers, one of his followers, with $5 million. And one of his followers with two and another with one and said, hey, I'm going to go away for a bit. I want you to watch over this. Put it to good use while I'm gone. And two of the guys understood exactly what he was talking about. One of the guys, the guy with five million, takes it, works with it, trades it, whatever, and he doubles it to $10 million. The other guy with two million, he puts his to work, and he comes back, doubles it, has $4 million waiting for his master when he returns. And the third guy buries it. He was afraid of his master. He was afraid that he was a hard man, and so he buried it in the ground so that he wouldn't lose any of it. And when the master comes back, he's pumped about those first two guys. He's like, well done. You are good. You are faithful servants. I'm going to share the full measure of my joy with you, and I'm going to give you even more to take care of and to invest. But he's not so happy with the third guy who buried his in the ground. In fact, he calls him wicked and lazy. He says, you should have at least put this in the bank where it could have earned interest. And he takes that million from him and he gives it to the guy with 10 million. I was always like, why don't you give it to the guy with five? I mean, you know, make it. I shared with my small group a couple weeks ago, this story actually terrifies me sometimes. My, my scarcity mindset sometimes affects how generous I am. I mean, I want to be a generous person, and, and, and we try hard to be generous people, but sometimes I feel myself holding back a little bit because of that scarcity mindset. And I think that's what this guy with the one talent did. He held back because he was afraid, and he ends up being called worthless, He ends up being thrown outside in the dark where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't like gnashing of teeth. That's pretty intense. I don't think that's the point, at least not the main one. So what's really happening here? I think this parable is trying to remind us of God's generosity towards us. He provides us with the equivalent of millions of dollars to invest and bless a broken world, to make our world better. I don't think this is just a story. I think this is our real life situation. And I think remembering that God provides us with everything is the first step. And then he wants to provide us with more. That's the first step to moving from a scarcity mindset to one of abundance. I mean, whether we're the 10 talent person or the five or the one, God has given us abundant resources, all of us. Every good thing we have comes from God. It all belongs to him. Psalms 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The land we possess and live off all belongs to God. He's given it to us for our provision, for our enjoyment. All the animals, wild and domestic, they're all God's. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. You've heard that maybe before. The silver and gold are all his. Our health, our strengths, our passions, our gifts all come from God. And he promises there's more where it came from. 
And if we will recognize and remember this, I believe that's our first step to developing an abundant mindset. And there's a second step Jesus seems to be sharing here in this parable. And I think it's a lot like what Malachi was talking about. Jesus seems to me to be inviting us to test him and see that there's no limit to the blessings he wants to provide. The parable of the talents encourages us and challenges us to take what God gives us and invest it in his kingdom so that there's more of it to go around. And when his servants do this, they're rewarded greatly for using God's resources well. He says, invest in my mission and watch what happens next for you and for others around you. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, you want to know how to handle your money in a way that will build your relationship with God that will help you in all of this? He says, put God's abundance and generosity to the test. This is the second step in developing an abundant mindset. When we invest in God and in his mission, it says something about our relationship with God. It says something about how we view God, that how big is God? How much do we trust God? When we give sacrificially, maybe beyond a 10% gift, giving up something we want for something that God wants, it says, God, I want to put you first. I want to serve you well. I believe you, and I believe that you have more and better things for me by growing my faith in you, showing me a bigger picture of who you are and what you're up to. Our relationship with God grows when we invest our money and resources in his work. And when we don't, I think our view of God shrinks. Our relationship with God shrinks. Jesus wants to help us grow in our view of who God is and what he's up to in this world. For some of us, breaking free from generations of poor money decisions or mistakes or having a mindset that's limiting us to what God's doing, some of us, we just need to test God in this. We maybe need to give or commit to giving a regular percentage of our income, just starting somewhere or our time or our other resources to give it to God's work through his church. Just as important, if we get stuck in our faith, sometimes the way for us to get unstuck, to begin growing spiritually again, is to decide to give. It begins when we increase our giving to God's work. Some of us maybe, I've heard Dave Bartlett stand up here and say this, some of us maybe just need to write a big check, right? We need to make a big sacrificial gift and see what God does next in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, in our relationships, in and through the church. Which brings me to the next question that we've been asked is, so uh, why would I give to Orchard Hill Church? Or how does the church use my money? These are million-dollar questions. I just had to get the title back in for the series there. Just had to, uh, seriously, these are great questions for us, I really believe. And I want you to know how we, how we use your money. For every dollar you give, about 60 or 65 cents will go to pay for our staff. People like Tim Walston. 
not only leads our worship on Sunday, but he leads our worship team across three campuses, and he trains and he develops our worship leaders and musicians. He doesn't just lead them musically, but Tim is discipling them. He's helping them grow missionally and relationally and spiritually, and he's sending so many people off to bless other churches. He partners with other churches within our denomination and other staff and volunteers, and he leads them at events like Rocky Mountain High or uh, Power Connection where thousands of students and staff and leaders encounter Jesus through worship and teaching and high adventure. Your money goes for staff like Gene Godlinski and Jennifer Van Ghent, who help some of the older members of our community. Help them connect to our church, help them be on mission. So many of them serving our church in so many amazing ways. And look out here and see some of those faces who are just here and helping with our building and other areas. Who are growing spiritually. Helping them access care and support from the church when it's needed. We've got a great staff because so many of you give to the mission of Orchard Hill Church. Church also has a monthly mortgage. Uh, we have uh, a utility bill. We have to pay for the lights. We have to pay for the heat to keep the building going. We have to pay for uh, toilet paper. Lots of toilet paper, other supplies. But we serve so many people during the week from the community with so many different events going on. People who maybe would never otherwise step foot in a church. People, maybe some of you, who came from, for another event and then you've, you've stayed your money helps us continue to do that by help, helping us pay these bills. One thing you need to know is that Orchard is very frugal. Like, um, we are careful about how we use your money. We want to manage your investment. We want to manage God's investment very well. Remembering God's generosity towards us and testing him in that by giving to his work. Those are two steps we can take towards an abundant mindset. But I think there's one more at least that I see in the parable of the talents and it's this. We need to learn to enjoy being a growing part of God's goodness in this world and the next. When the master returned and saw that his servants had doubled their money, he said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. We can trust that this is God's words to us as we invest in his work. He says, well done. That's being faithful. And I'm going to give you a bigger role. Come and enjoy the good work and let me share my happiness with you. Let me share so much happiness with you, right, that the storehouses just break open with blessing. A friend of mine and I were talking about um, University of Iowa football. It's been a tough year, a couple wins now, but we've been talking specifically about how the department is having trouble raising NIL money, right, the money that's used to pay players for the use of their name, image, and likeness. And we thought, you know, there are some really some things that they could do to help raise this money to buy a better quarterback or a set of receivers, whatever they might need. 
so we could win more games. And we're saying, like, one thing you could do is you could set some stations up around the stadium where people could scan a credit card or a QR code, and they could say, I'm going to give $100, right? You get 70,000 people donating $100,000 on any given Saturday, and you got $7 million of NAI money like that. Like, just think what you could do with that. As an alumni of the prestigious university, I'm like, I'd do it. I'd give them 100 bucks. Like, I could be part of something amazing and accomplishing, like, I would be part of the team then, and I've done my part. I've contributed, right? I'm part of this success. The thrill of victory becomes that much greater, that much more thrilling. I think this is exactly what Jesus is saying in this parable. This is what inspires me to give to Orchard Hill Church. God's inviting me to play a part of helping his local team here get better. And I'm not able to give enough to make it all work, but I can give my part, I can give my peace, and I can be part of something that's so much bigger than me. Something that's eternal. This is way bigger than me, it's way bigger than you. Something none of us can accomplish on our own, but together, we get to be part of something amazing. And God's plan is so much better because he doesn't say like everybody has to give $100 or anything like that, right? He says give where you're at. Start where you start. $100 is way more than what somebody might be willing to give. And it's way less than what others can give. So God in his wisdom says choose a percentage. Choose a starting point. Participate. And see if I don't share with you my happiness. We can help our team get better. We can bless our broken world by following Jesus and investing resources in his kingdom. And as we do, our mindset of abundance grows and we get a much bigger vision of what God is up to in our world and we get to play a part in that. I think that's inspiring to me. I hope it is for you. Can you pray with me? Father, we just want to say thank you as we, uh, maybe the first thing we just need to do is just remember uh, how much you have given to us, how much you continue to give us. Nothing more and nothing better, Lord, than your own son who gave his life for us so that we could be welcomed into your family, that we could live uh, as your children here and now, and then we'd be welcomed into your kingdom one day when we leave this earth. God, we want others to join us in that. So help us to consider how we can manage all that you've given us to help others uh, experience all that you promise us as well. It's in your name we pray. Amen.